and I guess welcome to the first episode of the Strength Roundtables. Uh, this is a little bit different in sense of uh, the conjugate chats. I like to say it's an extension of that. Um, so th- this is the first roundtables that are ever recorded. Um, I'm on here with some very great people. So I'm going to introduce myself, and then I will let the others introduce themselves as well. So, of course, John Mark Raspberry, current straight coach over Oliver Central High School, uh, and the host of the Conjugate Chats. So I'm going to go ahead and let these uh, great coaches introduce themselves, where they're doing right now, and let them kind of um, introduce themselves. I'll jump in first. Uh, my name is Kyle Jaksik. I'm the director of strength and conditioning at Ardrey Kell High School. And then I'm also the state director for the state of North Carolina uh, for the NHSSCA. I'll hop in second. My name is Ethan Crawford. Uh, I'm the director of strength and conditioning at Aquinas High School in Georgia, going into my third year as a director. All right, but yeah, Will Johnson here, um, private sector uh, owner. Uh, my facility's called Grind Time Facilities here in California. Also, um, head women's strength coach at J. Sarah High School in Laguna Niguel. I'll head up next. Uh, Juju Griffith, currently the director and owner of uh, Different Breed Sports Performance out in Teaneck, New Jersey. Um, private sector, uh, been in the private sector basically majority of my career. Um, that's really what I'm doing right now. Uh, my name is George Sanchez. I am a strength and conditioning coach at the Community School of Naples and the uh, a combine and sports performance coach at X3 Performance and Physical Therapy. And then on top of that, I run remote uh, training for 26 athletes. What's up, what's up everybody? My name is Christian Van Buren. Um, right now, I'm a pro performance specialist at Exos in Frisco, Texas, um, assisting in combine operations, more particularly speed with Brent Calloway, but also serving as director of implementation of all operations and strength and conditioning as it pertains to the NFL and NFLPA. Awesome. So you heard from all the guests that are on today. Um, so to everyone that saw that Twitter post that uh, we're doing something like the roundtables, I do appreciate you reaching out. I believe I had about 30, 40 coaches reach out about this certain topic. So the topic that we have today is the 30 below coaches, um, challenges that we're seeing as coaches that are in our 20s. Um, you know, is there things that we are seeing that, you know, a veteran coach that's been in the industry for 10, 15, 20 years are not seeing or have seen less of? And even if, um, if there's some advantages that we have as you know, very early pups in this game of strength and conditioning that, you know, have a leg on maybe in the industry right now currently. So the way this this is going to work is I'm going to drop a topic, basically, you know, on the round table. And we're just all going to go around. Uh, if you want to chime in, obviously, you know, this is your thoughts. This is your opinions. And this is how we're going to get better, basically. Um, so the first one that really comes to mind, and it's something that's personally I'm experiencing right now is interviewing, right? So you're getting ready for that first job in strength and conditioning. You're getting ready to, you're putting your resume together. You got everything. You got the CSCS. You got uh, the internships. 
You got even a little bit of experience, uh, maybe as a assistant football coach that's helping with the weight room or a physical therapy place that you're doing combine training in, whatever. You know, what are some things that you're seeing when you go to interviews? I think I'll hop in on this first. Uh, I think a couple of you guys who I've talked to before have known me to recently kind of been looking around for other jobs, looking for, I guess, an upgrade for my career being as early as it is. And I think we've all experienced at some point where we'll throw out hundreds of interview or hundreds of applications to a bunch of different places, really not caring where it is, just trying to get your name out there, regardless of the pay grade, what kind of position it is, and that you'll hardly ever get to hear back from wherever it is you go. I think in the, I guess, probably the last six months, I've probably thrown out well over a hundred applications and I think I've heard back from maybe six of them and each one I've gone and done an interview uh I'd say of the six that I've done only ended up hearing three returned whatever after those six interviews only ended up getting hear back from three of them and with it is just most of the time it's the age like we're talking about being young is that you don't have even with internships sometimes they don't want to hand over the keys to a kid who doesn't have that much experience doesn't have the age even if he does have the letters next to his name he doesn't have the amount of experience that some of these other coaches do have that have just been in the game for a lot longer of time regardless of connections or not if they see someone who has been in it for 20 years for someone who's been in it for three years all eyes go towards the guy who's had been there for 20 years. I think the biggest step um, where I think I've built up and gotten myself into like a pretty good position of like something that we seek, especially if you're kind of seeking the high school level of whenever I've gotten into interviews and like gotten a chance to interview, it's all dictated by feeling. I think a lot of the times, like, sure, we can point to years of experience, but how are you leaving the room and even entering the room of that interview process? And what do the people think of you as you leave? Because sure, like I can put together whatever manual that I want that can show whatever programs I want to do, whatever things I want to work on, how we're going to build it. This is how it's going to look. But what is the feeling that the athletic director, that sport coach is leaving or even a director of a private facility is feeling when you leave the room? Um, so whether it be taking the first interview, like being almost cocky enough that like, yeah, I'm going to be the first one to interview or the first one to respond back with an interview time. Um, and then just setting the tone right off the bat of like that person felt right. So being able to put yourselves in the shoes of that athletic director of like, maybe you don't know what they're looking for, but maybe you show them what they're looking for at the end of the day too. So I have something to that, Kyle, because if you're feeling now, if you're getting this job because of a feel right. So, you know, I do think that a little bit of your personality has to go into those interviews, right? So an athletic director, a head football coach, whatever, whoever's sitting in that interview has to like you in order for you to be hired. I mean, does that mean that you answer questions that would be in favor of what they're wanting to do at a particular school or a particular place? 
because maybe you don't uh, 100% agree with like the head football coach, right? If we talk about um, the infamous back squat, front squat, you know, debate, um, you know, what if the head football coach is a heavy back squat guy and your answer to that, you know, if they ask you is like, do you believe in the back squat and what's your opinions about that? I mean, do you stick to your guns and say, well, I'm a front squat guy, I'm a zercher guy, I'm a whatever guy, and keep it honest? Or do you answer that in the favor of some someone like the head football coach, what they want to hear? I mean, like I know for me, like I'd rather lose a job in an interview than put myself in a position that I don't want to be in because at the end of the day, like we work for other people. So what are we doing, whether we're private sector, high school sector, collegiate sector, we're, we're extensions of other people. The, the people that pay us need to know that we're also brutally honest too. So like, I know like the interview process where I'm at now, the football coach asked a mental toughness question. How do you train mental toughness in your athletes? And I, and I went flat out. I'm like, if you think that exercise is going to be punishment in my program, you got the wrong guy. So digging your heels in of stuff that you truly believe in so you don't end up as the news story or better yet, like end up without a job at the end of the day too, before you even get there. Like you, you got to set the tone and lay it on the line right off the bat well before, like, especially in the field of strength and conditioning where you may take a job in a random location. You may take a job in a place where you don't want to live or so on and so forth. Like you got to make sure that's all worth it at the end of the day. So you got to dig heels in of what you truly, truly believe in and what you're, what you can find a middle ground. in. if it's a front squat, back squat debate, sure. Like we can, we can all argue that front squat may be better than back squat or vice versa. So if they want to see back squats, like I'll give them back squats, but knowing how to dose it properly enough to go about it but also not putting yourself in a position like a mental toughness thing. Like we're going to finish the workout with 400 pushups and we're going to send all of our kids to the hospital um, as a vice versa kind of component is, is really important in the interview process of setting the tone early. And that was another question I was going to have was where y'all ask this mental toughness portion of, you know, an interview. Uh, I know, especially when you work for Southern uh, sport like football, Right. That's that, that's always been the big topic with football. You got to have mental toughness. You got to have mental toughness. Do you all actually see that in your interview? And how, how do you answer that with being truthful to yourself? Right. Sticking your heels in what you believe, but also. You know. Building almost I don't, I'm not going to say building mental toughness, but establishing it in your own programs. Yeah. I mean, I hop in on it. Just I mean, I've. Having worked in both, you know, the division one level and now like even the private sector for the past three years, like you definitely hear it all of the time, uh, more so in the collegiate setting than private sector setting. Um, of course, you get those questions as it pertains to football, but I always my, my default and, and my 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 response back to that has always been um, where do you want the kids to be? Like, yeah, we talk about mental toughness. Yeah, we talk about what that looks like. But what happens when you've killed a kid, right? What, what happens when a kid can't recover and he can't perform and now he's unavailable um, to to help your your team, you know? And then I, and I outline that. And I, I draw that thing out for those who are asking those questions, whether it be the head football coach, whether it be 
um, you know, the athletic director, uh, whether it be the entire staff, I make sure I outline that and I educate, you know, these coaches um, with with high levels of audacity. I think oftentimes people are afraid to tell these 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 coaches no, uh, because for so long, for so many years, we've we've adopted and we have accepted this notion that because we work for them, we have to be yes men. Uh, when in all actuality, even at a very young age, like I just turned 27 this past November, at the end of the day, I know more about this than you do, you know, head football coach. So I have to be able to stand on that because I, at the end of the day, this team has to matter to me too. So the narrative for me became, I don't work for you. No, we work together to put these kids in the best position to be successful. So if we work together, then my voice does in fact matter. And if my voice is one of the voices that helps you keep a job and feeds your family head, head football coach, then I need to be able to look you in the face and go, hey, there's a thing called rap though. And you will kill one of these kids. And there are better uh, and more intangible ways to build mental toughness, which is nothing more than an athlete's ability to maintain discipline under severe fatigue, right? There's ways for me to do that uh, without putting a kid's life in jeopardy, which then in part puts the head coach's job in jeopardy, which then puts my job in jeopardy. So we have to understand that we work with these people and we're all tied to one string. And so we have to be able to, with great audacity, stand up and stand out to not only protect these kids and their lives, but also protect the livelihood of our families who we're entrusted to go to work every day and come back home with bread to feed them. So that's been my take on that. I like to add to that because the the bottom line of it is that we're talking about integrity here, right? It's it's the integrity of us as strength and conditioning coaches to stand like Kyle said it and and and, and Rock said it like it's to have the integrity to stand on our values and our morals that like again we're in this for the success of the teams that we serve, right? We, to be honest with you, like it, speaking from the private sector perspective, I don't necessarily care too much what the sport coach really wants, because at the end of the day, it's my job to ensure that those kids, those athletes, those, those young men and women are bigger, faster, stronger, and more resilient to be able to perform in their sport, Right. My job is to work with you to ensure that we get that end goal. My job isn't to to cede to you because of however archaic mindset that you have behind quote unquote mental toughness. So I think as young strength coaches, right, when it comes to the interviewing process, when it comes to everything, I think what we need to have firmly in our moral compass is that integrity um, to be able to, like Rock said, to say no and to stand on it and to have the why to why we're saying no and not budge and not move the line when we say no. I'll, I'll piggyback off of uh, what uh, Juju said. I think Kyle might know who I might be talking about here. I recently lost out on a job because of that integrity of that saying no of going through an interview and getting to talk with the football coach the head football coach because everyone who goes through an interview especially out of high school gets to talk to the head football coach of saying no to adapting everything that i've learned everything that i deem how i run my program how i have run it how my 
philosophy and principles that I run my program with of saying no, that I wouldn't adapt to his four quarters of fury type style, style of not really believing in conditioning or traditional conditioning, not believing in traditional speed work of letting practice handle everything of sticking to what I believed in and how I've approached my entire career and through saying no through believing what I believe is that one of those things that like all right that ends up turning into a burnt bridge because I wouldn't conform to this person's ideals and I had to stick to my guns and he didn't like that I mean that's one of the few things as, as soon as you like talk about how you feel when you leave an interview whatnot like that was a feeling of like ah oh, we we will not like each other so kind of piggybacking off that interview piece right so you dig your heels in you you stand tall you're on your principles but and ethan kind of alluded to this i mean you don't get that job you you leave walking out of there saying i don't i don't i'm not getting this job I mean, what's the next step for you afterwards? Because if you don't get this job, you know, it's hard enough to get an interview, first of all. It's hard to get a callback. You know, if you put your application in, it's hard to get a callback and say, well, you know, whatever. So where do you go from there? You know, are you content where you are right now? How, what's the next step? So I'd like to chime in on that one because um, majority of my career has been in the private sector. Um, so I've been able to train everybody from junior high school all the way to pros and gen pop. And my advice, I, like I said, I never interviewed for college or pro. Um, it's not something that I ever thought of doing, but my advice to those coaches would be on the side, like start, start an online training business, right? Start something that you can normalize your income a little bit, that you could bring in clients to train on an online basis using using technology like a train heroic, like a team builder, right? Um, we're we're smarter than I think we we fall into imposter syndrome and thinking that we need to to have some of the best programs, but realistically, like the programs that we have and the knowledge that we have, if we just put out a simple program, a simple three day a week program for a month for just general population clients like for whatever, 50, a hundred, $150, like you can build a community behind that to then help you go along um, as you're interviewing for another job, right? I think COVID taught me personally that when the gym wasn't jumping and we didn't have a job, like what was there to fall back on, right? It's, it's, it's being able to have that fail safe um, to, to, to have that consistent income still coming in when something happens outside of having the savings, which is a whole financial topic. And, and I wanted to kind of piggyback off what Juju said. Like I personally have not done an online training business. Like I typically would start it and then quickly, you know, fall away from it just from a time perspective. But I think also, you know, my perspective uh, is a little bit different. I guess I could speak to the other side of this deal where, you know, I was in college, jumped to private sector. And then before I landed the job here at Exos, I had interviewed for four different Division One programs, um, turned a few down. And a couple of them, 
Um, I accepted and thought about it. It was like, no, we turned that one down too. And, and what got me through um, was because there was definitely that that thought process, process, John Mark, of, well, man, like, am I going to get another shot? Like, what does that look like? Like, there was definitely times where I would turn down a gig and think, man, that was my last shot. You know, how many times I'm going to tell that coach, you know, or how many times, there's been some interviews, I didn't even get a call. You know, how many times am I going to be told no? Or how many times am I going to say no and I get stuck here? Um, and I think you have to fall back on what what is your purpose to begin with, right? And if you can dig deep into why you you started this and really take take hold of those roots, if it's rooted in truly serving others, you will simply continue to be the best that you can be where you are and understand that it's how you make other people feel around you that will garner you whatever that new level is. For some, you know, professionals within our profession, it's I want a new pay grade. Well, you could very well do that where you are, continue to serve to the best of your ability. It'll happen when it's supposed to. And if you continue to do that, let's say you don't reach those goals, a new position, a new, a new level of responsibility, a new pay grade. It might not happen where you are, but because of how you make people feel where you are, somebody's going to hear about it across the country. Somebody's going somebody's to pick up the phone and call you. You won't have to apply. Um, and so that's, for my personal journey, that's what's kind of gotten me every gig, every gig I've ever gotten. I, I didn't apply for a job at Colorado State. I didn't apply for a gig at Northwestern State. I didn't apply for a gig at D1 Training. And, and I didn't look for this job here at Exos. Each and every one of those positions found me because of how I made people feel. And they typically came, you know, piggybacking off of the know that I gave somebody or the know that somebody gave me. Um, so Juju made a great point. That's definitely one way to do it. And I, I look over there on that side and think, man, it's pretty lucrative over there. Uh, but if that's not your cup of tea, there's also the perspective of that. Just hunkering down and fighting like hell to continue to serve. It'll happen when it's supposed to, for sure. And just trusting in your purpose. Your purpose will carry you with the tangible things of this life and this profession on. I think Rock brings up a good point of sticking steadfast with it because naturally as strength coaches, like we are instant feedback people. So like when you don't get a job, like you think it's the end of the world when you could very well have that next thing line up three days from now, four days from now, like you, you really never know like when it's going to come around. What's nice about this field right now is it is growing so fast and there's so many different parts of it. Like tactical strength and conditioning is huge right now. Maybe you never even thought, like I never saw myself as a high school strength coach. I never once thought I was going to be a high school strength coach, but like I, I had my big, my big wants that I wanted to move to the Carolinas and it was a part-time high school job and they gave me a chance. And now like three years after the fact or almost three years after the fact of taking that job, like I'm exactly where I want to be. So some of us will learn late, late in our career. Some of us will earn, like learn really early on. But I think like you bring up a good point, coach, of like if you have a passion for helping people, there's more than just maybe coaching whatever sector you want to be in or the perfect gym or the perfect athletes. Um, like I know like for me, like early on, like, I was I was the person who took patients back in the cardiologist's office and took their blood pressure. 
was that exactly what I wanted to be doing? No. Did I enjoy doing it because I had to communicate with people that were not like me that, and at the end of the day, like that taught me how to communicate that taught me how it feels that, that the customer service part of stuff, like you want to learn customer service, go put yourself in those kind of positions, go work retail, go be a waiter. Like we're, we're a customer service build business just as much as them, but sticking steadfast with it, that it may not be the perfect position right off the bat. Like, but there's underlying principles that we enjoy to do. And just cause we are the instant feedback people of strength coaches um, knowing that it's going to come back around and you never know where it's going to come from and when it's going to happen. But I promise you, if you stick with it, it will, it will come because you're going to end up building your perfect position in your own head because of what you've built in your prior life per se. Okay. Great insight. Juju mentioned something that I really want to hit on. Because it's something that I guess every coach has now experienced. And, I mean, we're pretty young. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will eventually. And that's imposter syndrome. I mean, that's something that I think every coach is going to experience at some given point. Whether that's, you know, if you're heavily making content on social media. uh, If you're... Uh, doing whatever, if you're kind of looking on the outside of your own four walls of your own facilities, of your own practice, you know, you're seeing people do great things out there and you're thinking, well, I'm not doing that. Am I an imposter? Am I doing the right thing? So talk to us about imposter syndrome. How do you feel when that comes along? How do you get over that? And basically, where do you go from there of I'm a damn imposter to I'm a damn good coach. I think Juju made a good point. So um, being in the private sector and then transitioning from being an athlete, I was just an athlete a couple years ago and me and George might be on the same, same type time. Um, young and then us looking to like who, who we admire in the industry, you know, who we follow on Twitter and who we follow on Instagram. I think, that we get so sucked into trying to be like them that we forget that they probably have like 10 or 15 years, you know, ahead of the game, you know, and stuff like that. I think, you know, when I first started like um, opening my own facility, which I have now at at my age, I wanted to have all the reels on Instagram. Like I'm not an Instagram guy. I think if you don't follow me, if you don't talk to me, like you would never know I'm actually a, a owner, a strength coach or work at a school. So I think I was trying to, to make reels and make videos so often and so much that I was like losing focus and like coaching. Like I, I became a bad coach because I was trying to like do Instagram and make money off Instagram. But um, like, I still believe in word of mouth. Like I, I went from having five athletes during COVID, you know, to having over 300 plus, you know, two years later in my own facility at 24 um, in, in Southern California, which is crazy. I'm not from here. I'm not a local at all. I'm from DC. So I think, I think imposter is real. I think that who we follow and who's our influence, I think that that changes stuff like that too because I follow each and every one of you guys and all you guys do something that I, I want to mimic and I want to do, you know, within my four walls. But sometimes everything you guys do doesn't work for me. So I got to dial it back and then I got to stick to what I know because, you know, if I'm just a people person, if I'm just a people's coach, then I know that I'll be successful, you know, where I'm at. And that's what landed me jobs in high schools now. 
um, just being me and stuff like that. Will brought up a great point about, uh, you know, we obviously have our mentors and the people that we look to in the industry. And we obviously, some of us get jaded because it's like they got it, whether they got the facility, whether they got, you know, Soren X racks in their private facility, whether they got the, the, the latest EVT system, but we forget that. Most of the men that we or women that we look up to have been in the field for 15 plus years. And I think to to kind of bridge the gap between old and young coach, I think one thing that a lot of our mentors do very well is just coach. Right. Like when they're in a session, they are locked in a session. Right. One of my one of my mentors and one of my one of my um with somebody that I respect and I look up to, Coach Karen, Coach Tim Karen, who's the owner of Allegiant out in California. Like he was my strength coach in college. That man was locked in. There was no social media. There was no video. Like that man saw everything from rack one all the way down to rack 14 and was just locked in. And when we look at things like like us as young strength coaches, like, like Will said, sometimes we get caught up in trying to be on Instagram or or showcase how we are because what we're trying to do is we're trying to show everybody that we're not dumb as rocks. We know what we're talking about. Um, we're valuable to your organization or your team, but at the same time, like we still have people in front of us that we have to serve at a hundred percent, right? So I think um, serving, making sure that the clients that you have, whether it's an athlete, adult, whoever. Um, making sure that the clients that you have in front of you are the ones that you serve um, with your utmost attention and whatnot. And then everything else that follows, because um, you don't know who knows who at that point. And that person might know somebody that might give you that phone call, like Rock was saying earlier. I'll piggyback off of Will and Juju. Uh, I mean, we've all gone through and I go through spurts every now and then i think the one thing that has always gotten me out of a little spurt of imposter syndrome is the kids or the people that we get to work with uh, i could be going through a bad day and anytime like your favorite athlete or your favorite class your favorite team anybody that you would like to train walks in they dap you up they say what's up how's your day like juju said like anything that you were thinking about beforehand goes away now you're focused in on the kid that you get to work with you're focused that you're dialed into the session you're about to coach and you don't think about oh am I doing this better or not no you're focused on getting them through a great session and stacking a great day of training and anytime that you feel like or definitely for me whenever I feel like I haven't been doing good enough job maybe my programming or stuff going down the line that getting to be in the weight room or on the field with those kids and seeing them enjoy what we do takes me right out of that run like all right I know I'm doing the right thing even though if I might not be doing the best that I can be doing right now but these kids are enjoying what we're doing and that we're stacking good days together yeah and I think another way to kind of get over imposter syndrome is to like uh like be firm in your beliefs and the principles that you understand so like you see it everywhere like this coach is doing something cool over here and this coach is doing something cool over here and it, it looks cool and it might be cool and it might be something that work that works, but like it might not be something that 
I know how to coach or it might not be something that I can do. Like I may not have access to the equipment that they have, but understanding like that's what they're doing and that's fine and it works and it looks cool. But like, these are my beliefs. Like if it fits into my beliefs and it fits into the principles that I follow and cool, I'll use it and it's something great. But if not, like I'm not losing sleep over it because it's just something else. Like it's not a necessity. Once you have your kind of beliefs and you know your principles, you can kind of figure out what to use and what not to. Okay, so we'll go into kind of the tail end of this here. Um, talk about advantages that we have as young coaches. Now, obviously, there are a plentiful of disadvantages, right? We, uh, you know, if we have our own thoughts and opinions on training, you know, we had to stick more. We got to be more rooted in our beliefs than someone that's, you know, 15 years into the field. They have all this progress, maybe a track record of, you know, wins, success, whatever, in the strength program. You know, for some of us, we might not have that or we don't have the big name internships or uh, whatever that may be. So let's go on the flip side of that, advantages. One of the advantages that I've seen in younger coaches, and this is pre- prevalent in Cody Hughes and guys like Brandon Pig, where their, they, their intelligence and technology and the usefulness of technology has been through the roof, right? Cody has released his straight uh, sheets. Brandon Pig is... Um, I could probably text him right now. He can give me a whole formula for whatever I needed. So, I mean, like, in your all's experience, what is an advantage with technology that we see now that maybe a vendor coach or someone that's a little bit older, you know, tail end of the industry is almost kind of try to catch up on? Mechanics now. It's such a it's such a great tool. Um, I think coaches who are, you know, we're all we're on our twenties, but I think coaches who are, you know, well over like sixty, fifty five. I think, you know, they're maybe stuck in their ways, and uh, maybe they're not used to you know, the, the young age and stuff. But I think the use of biomechanics and you know enhancing you know athletic performance is something that is an advantage for us. Um, I mean, I I'm just fresh. I'm still in college, so I've I've used velocity based training, you know, in my own training. Uh, and I can showcase that to my athletes, my high school athletes. You know, I can I can relate that to to what I was training two years ago to how they're training now, um, which is definitely you know an advantage um, for us as coaches. You know, under twenty five and you know under thirty. Um, so I guess that's just us being you know educated on VBT and us you know educated on tools such as uh, like Team Builder, um, like Juju was talking about. Um, train heroic and stuff like that so we can you know better educate someone that's older than us that this is like a new age way to enhance an athletic performance i think i tweeted yesterday about you know do does vbt make you a better coach um or does it you know not make you a better coach and i think everybody was chiming in about you know being a better coach before you and you know incorporate tools is really all you need to be honest Yeah, I think the education piece of reachability is huge. Like we all have our quote unquote guys. Like if I want to learn about a certain topic, like I know like if I want to learn more about med ball training, I, I got so-and-so and so-and-so who post a lot about med ball training and probably know a good amount about it. Because at the end of the day, like we're going to post the stuff on social media that we're probably relatively confident in. Like I know for me, like, 
if you if you scroll through my social media, a lot of our stuff comes from our speed program because that's that's kind of like what I what one what I enjoy teaching, but two like where I can bring the most benefit to the field. Like there's plenty of guys out there that can get athletes much more stronger than I can get because that's not like really where my bread and butter lies. But knowing that at any time I can reach out to anyone in the country and like, sure, like there's plenty of times that everyone will not answer, but like Ethan, Ethan's on this call right now. Ethan reached out to me when he applied for a job in an area that I'm close to. Did I know Ethan? Could I speak to the X's and O's of his knowledge? No, but I could at least speak to the guy that Ethan was of just even having the, having the nuts to reach out to someone who he didn't know who just asked some questions. I think the reachability people is super important in terms of learning. Um, but we can also kind of see it as a downfall because so much of it can get watered down a lot of the times of like, I call it the, the Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid drinking whiteboard marker guys. Like there's plenty of coaches out there that, see something on social media and they're going to go write it on their whiteboard right away. And they're going to try to do it, whether they know if it fits or not. And there's certainly like time and place of trying stuff out. Um, so there's certainly like the downfall of technology of social media there um, that we as coaches who I think all utilize social media pretty well. Uh, I mean, there's some social media famous people on this call right now. Um, where it's a major benefit to us, but knowing the time and place of, all right, that's stuff that can benefit me. And that that's stuff that I maybe just don't need to get involved with at the end of the day. And also I'll, I'll chime in real quick before anyone takes this out of context. Like I'm not saying that old coaches or veteran coaches can't learn, you know, technologies like that, but I think we have a quicker time with adapting to those times. You know, we grew up on, you know, the computer and Apple being progressively developed as time went on. And I've seen coaches and teachers and older, better people that were, you know, they can't adjust to it because, you know, that's something that they're not used to. And, you know, it's no more different in coaching. You know, you know, uh, there's some better coaches that were, you know, big conjugate West Side barbell guys. And, you know, they can progress just like we can, but also they there are coaches out there that cannot mentally progress with technology as quickly. Maybe it'll take them a little bit longer, but they can get from point A to point B. It's just going to take them longer to do it rather than us that been grew up on technology. And they we can get from point A to point B a lot quicker than maybe someone that's not as versed in technology. With that, too, I think we get a little jaded. We're a little jaded to the point where, like, to your point, Jay, about growing up with technology, um, some of us that have been able to, those older coaches that, like, when BBT first came out, like, exposed us to the Tendo units in college, right? Um, and that's just advanced. I think this also boils down to filtering and, uh, like, filtering the right um the right things for what you need or what you can handle, right? If you can't, if, if, if you don't have the knowledge on BBT or I think the new thing right now is using the weight training tips, right? Like if you're not knowledgeable in doing it yet, then learn on it first 
program it for yourself. See what the stimulus is like for yourself. Take note of that and then see where that can be implemented for your athlete, right? I think to your point, people are too quick to jump into things by just seeing the next trend on on Instagram and thinking that everybody's going to see it and then they think they're cool and then they think they're this great, smart coach when in practicality, you really don't know what you're doing. And I think another advantage that we have that's kind of getting away from the technolo- technological aspect of it, because, um, I mean, yeah, we have the advantage tech, uh, technologically, but another thing is, like, the ability to be relatable and, and empathize with the people that we train. So, like, we're all kind of young, so we all, like, we're just athletes, probably, or, like, we all, like, have the ability to relate to these athletes because we were just their age. Like, at the high school that I'm at right now, these kids are like four years younger than me and they're telling me all these problems that they're going through. And they're like, George, what do I do? And I'm like, that's crazy. I went to the same thing or like, you know, being able to relate to them is huge. And I think that's one of our advantages. I think another one is like energy. Like I'm young, you're young. We have the same interests probably like you will's probably going to laugh at me for this, but like me and my, the guys that train at CSM, we talk about going to Hooters all the time. Like we've been to Hooters together. Like we like, we have that relationship. We have high energy. We like the same things, you know, like we can bring that stuff. So that's another, I think, strength that we have. And then lastly, I think it's like with being so young, like we're not so like deeply in love with different methodologies that we have. And we're not like in love with like, this is how things are because we have different inputs. And so we have different perspectives than other coaches. Like nowadays, everything's not so muscular driven. Things are more like, you know, centered around speed and performance and it's not just lifting heavy weight or like, I think something that I've been trying to get out is like, not everything's optimal. Like we're not all training everything optimally because things in sport aren't always optimal. So like getting out of this, like, or being so young that we don't have like 20, 30 years of being in love with a certain method or thing that we do is an advantage that we have over these older coaches who may be that way. Now you're saying, you know, we're not so experienced in, you know, particular methods, you know, to maybe to us, it's like a, can- a kid at a candy store, right? I, I, I got time to go and learn French contrast and post activation potentiation. I got time to learn conjugate. I got time to learn triphasic. I got time to perfect those things. So I like your point, George, of like, you know, yeah, we're not proficient quote unquote proficient in a particular method and you know to a degree we might not know what we like particularly but we have the advantage to learn and experience and experiment you know if this doesn't work cool we can throw it out we can go to something else you know whatever but we at least have that in our corner as being young coaches i think the best thing for us um so I won't say for us, I won't say the best thing, but I think just staying patient in our craft is probably the best thing. I know that, you know, we all have different paths and different walks, but I know for me, um, I think staying patient for me is just like the, the, the biggest thing because I want to have, I want to have something that every one of you got. I want to have, you know, a job offer to D1 maybe. I want to work at a school. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work with a high school now that I've been wanting to do so. I think just staying patient, just staying true to myself, um, being at this age and just being relatable and 
and being likable. You know, I, I'm in the private sector, but I meet a lot of coaches. Like all my athletes, they, they come here, they get better, they go back to their school and they're performing better. And then, you know, their coaches ask, how are you getting better? Oh, I, I work with Will. Like, who's Will? All right, because most, most of the kids here, especially in California, unless you go to a top school, there is no strength coach. You know, your you know your sport coach is running the you know the weight rooms to the best of their ability, and you know they're not getting better; they're getting hurt. But you know, being 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 young and then being close to their age and being two years just removed from the game is just a, a game changer for them because now I can help them get better and tell them, you know, this is what I used to do in the weight room. This is what I was taught. You know, this is what I learned. I'm gonna do it to you. If it doesn't work, we'll switch it. You know, if it works, we keep doing that. I think another good advantage, too, is kind of like what Will was saying is with how young we are, I think a lot of us, we still train pretty seriously, that we take what we do pretty serious in the weight room um, and that we have the ability to go through what our athletes are going through. It may not be the same exact program, but the overall stimulus can be very similar in that we can put ourselves in that place that we're trying to take our athletes and you can understand how hard you're pushing them, how hard you're pushing yourself. Not everyone can and not everyone wants to do that nowadays. They don't want to go, all right, cool. Well, I'm making my athletes drop under the bar. They're going to have to give me a bunch of reps at this higher percentage at this higher weight. Well, can an older coach still do that and yell at his athletes to get up? Or am I able to do that and expect the same results as my kids. Like, hey, if I get dumped on a squat that's too heavy for me, can I expect my athletes to do the same with the same kind of parameters? Uh, I think that's another insight that we have as younger coaches is that we can just do almost the same things as our athletes and just understand that what we're asking them to do, we can do, and that we're not asking too much of them. And that brings another great point as well from Will and you, Ethan, that you know, uh, there's the big debate right now. Should you train or should you do the things that your athletes are doing? And, you know, I heard both sides of the coin on this. One being, you know, if you're someone like Mike Boyle, been in the game for 30, 40 years, whatever. I mean, he shouldn't be sitting there squatting 500 pounds on the safety bar, you know, ass to grass, whatever. But at the same time, he's got to keep a level of, you know, fitness with him. You know, he can't just go out of shape or whatever. But for someone that's below 30, you know, 25, 26, 27, 22, I mean, does our physique really matter that much? And at some places, it probably does. And I, I guess, yeah, let's go there. Does your physique matter? I'll, I'll chime in on this one. The first one I'll say is, I will bet that Mike is probably more conditioned than 80% of strength coaches in the field. I will give him his flowers on that one because I've seen him go on the assault bike. No joke, right? Um, I think physique does matter because I think, um, especially if you are in the high school setting and you're dealing with athletes who don't um, are, are trying to attain going to play at the next level, I think they also play sports to just look good, right? Whether it's a confidence factor, whether they're doing it for the exercise so that they get bigger arms or they have the abs or whatever the case may be. So I think it's hard for, I'm, I'm purely speaking from the high school setting, I think it's very hard for high schoolers to kind of listen to somebody if they don't follow suit 
in some way, shape, or form, right? Whether they sprint fast, whether they throw up a lot of weight, whatever the case may be, I think it's very hard for them to really listen if if you're not following suit. I was going to comment on this one. Um, so, yes, I do believe that, you know, your level of fitness and your physique matters. Um, but that's not too... I think all, 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 all too many times when we say one thing matters, pe- people automatically assume that we negate that anything else does. So that's not to say that your level of knowledge, expertise, and and how that equates to how many years you have in the field doesn't matter. Uh, because I work with guys who've been in this field 15 to 20 years. Some would argue that they're on the Mount Rushmore of sports performance. And they don't look like me, don't run like me, don't jump like me. They got to enter the draft 2018, right? And people still flood the building wanting that that certain level of knowledge. Um, but what we've also seen with NFL guys that come in the door, um, and some of our and some of our combine athletes is they respect and understand and listen very well to to you know the guys within our facility that have all this expertise and this track record. But it does feel a little bit different when a guy like myself, who's only been doing this four and a half years. Will preach to them how they should, you know, do a certain movement. I, I might demo non-counter movement, medial or lateral jumps, right? Um, and we might, you know, do, you know, lateral races. And I've just communicated to them how it works. I demo it, and you'll catch them and go, ooh. But then you pop in with them, and then you beat them in a race. It's like, oh my goodness, it does work. So then the information starts to get different. Um, so I think that in that regard, if you don't have the decades of expertise you want to put a little more salt and pepper on what you got to say if you're fit enough to do it hop in there and show them and it changes everything automatically your lack of experience quote unquote goes out the window because no nah, hell no nah, my coaches beat me at the race like how you know what i'm saying so i think for us as younger coaches it, it matters a little bit more right now because our our youth in this field for some athletes, uh, the ones who who understand what expertise really is, we have to then be we have to be able to show them. Uh, we can't stand up on a hill and say that we just know everything because they know that we haven't been doing it as long as some of the coaches before us. So I think that it's one hundred percent something that we need to sprinkle a little salt and pepper on our expertise and our knowledge. So would you say would you say our expertise is us being athletes? Could it? Can it go hand in hand, you know, with us coaching? Because um, I think all of us have been coaching for what, like four or five years. But you know, we've all been athletes for you know just the same amount of time. So I, I would say I'm an expert in the, in the field because you know I was an athlete and I I performed well in the league. So would you say that it, it'd be the same the same way? Because um, I like the fact that you said that you know if my kids were just you know BSing around and and not, not buying in, then I would go in there and squat 225 real quick for 10 when they can only do it for two type time. And, like, you know, listen with my football players. Like, I played college basketball. And then listen with them, you know, I'm pushing 225, you know, a few times off the bench. Um, and that helped them buy in. Because if I can do it, they can do it. Like, I'm, I'm running the 40 when I'm running the sprints well. I'm doing fly 10s and wickets with them. I'm doing everything they're doing because I want them to buy in because I yeah. want to see them be successful. So, you know, in a couple of years, they'll be in our position. They'll be in college. You know, they'll they'll find them times where it's hard, um, you know, to be liked by a coach. You know, they'll find it hard that 
you know, they're working in the weight room just as hard as, you know, anybody else, but they're not getting that shine, you know, they want. So would you consider that expertise of us being athletes and then transitioning to coaches as well? Yeah, um, I, I would, I personally do believe that that's expertise. Um, and I do believe that it, it aids us in reaching out to these athletes because we've lived it, especially if you're working with populations that you've actually, you've actually been in that realm, like, um, and there's ways to vary it. Like I, I, I train Olympian, Olympians on uh, the track and field center. I was never an Olympic track athlete, but I did in high school. And so I, I can understand partially that thought process and I can speak to that by way of my experience. Uh, but what I would say is for us, we consider that true expertise in the field, but these athletes don't know what they don't know. Um, so with that being said, we've got to be able to dive back into that former athlete bag and show them like, no, I'm not capping when I say I really do this. You know, I'm not capping when I say that I, I know what you're going through. I, I'm not capping when I say I understand what it takes. Um, so they don't always look at our, our prior history as an athlete as expertise in this field. Because when they look at us, to mention that we play college sports, they just look to the right and the left of them and say, well, yeah, I train with this dude every day. And he don't know nothing. So now we have to show them and prove to them that no, my expertise also supplements what I know given what I've read in this doggone book. Because what I've read in this book, I can apply it to what I've done before and it still works. Um, so it's 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 100 percent correct for us to consider that expertise, but it's also incumbent upon us uh to prove when necessary to our athletes when trying to create buy-in why that level of expertise also matters and is conducive to our our influence on them within the weight room on the turf. Yeah the the way I see it like the physique thing and being able to like talk the talk and walk the walk like I don't think it can take away from us not being physically you know fit I don't think it can take away from us but I definitely do think that it can add a lot like it can add buy-in you know it can, it can add engagement it can, it can do a lot of things for the the culture and the environment so like you can get a team who may be kind of like lackadaisical in the weight room and then you show them one day that like you do you do a workout with them or you just kind of do something and you look good if you look good as a coach they'll buy into that they'll be like oh snap like this coach is doing it he looks good I want to look good like Instead of looking at that guy on TikTok or that guy on IG Reels, like they're gonna look at you and be like, "I'm trying to do that, so I want to do what that guy's doing." And then you create buying, create a good, positive environment, and then things get rolling. Also, piggybacking off of uh, y'all, I think what makes us experts compared to I guess just I guess the the sport coach deciding to run the weight room, like what Will was trying to say with us being experts, is that we have the eye for being a coach. We've all known athletes. I think we have all known these people at some point in our life. People who are great athletes in college and high school or whatnot, they decide they want to be a coach and they think they can go be a coach because they were good at their sport. And we all know that guy, that girl that walks into a weight room or walks out there that tries to coach people and they just can't. That, hey, maybe they might be able to go into the weight room. They might be able to hit a PR 40 or hit a 225 max reps more than their athletes. but can they teach them the correct start for a 40? Can they teach them proper bench press technique to help continuously make improvements? And I think that's what we have as an advantage is that 
we do have the eye of the coach. We've been through this. We've learned how to do that. Not everyone could just step into a room or on the field and tell an athlete to do this and do that, but show them the why, show them the how, teach them the steps to make sure that they can do it and do it at a high level and continuously repeat that high level. I think the kind of like wrap around to, I think the language of sport is super crucial of like, what are the current languages? So like if you're working with a sport, so I was, I was a baseball player. I can at least like speak the language of baseball because I was a baseball player. But if you're working with, like, I know I, I saw, I see it with our soccer athletes where soccer practice to them is training. If you just find that middle ground of calling it training, whether it's practice or they have stuff in the weight room or like, I, I'm a terrible basketball player. But I can at least like say if I'm doing whatever agility movement that's going to help us work off of a screen and then the kids are like, oh, my God, like he can somewhat speak our language. I'm not going to go get shots up in the gym, but there's going to be at least like a middle ground of, OK, these are these movements and this is how it's going to help you in your game. That creates buy in like right off the bat, because as much as we try to fight it, there's enough drive and want from our student athletes and our coaches to have quote unquote sports specific training. So if you weren't, if you weren't an athlete or if you, you aren't a lover of sport, or maybe you don't know every single detail of every single sport that can be tough, tough to kind of like find that middle ground. So like, I know for me where, I'm like the rarity of that we have so many sports because I have so many athletes because it's such a large school. Like I work with field hockey players outside certain geographical locations. There is no field hockey, but I watched field hockey a couple of times in college because I was the public address announcer at a field hockey game. So for the most part, like I can at least find some level of middle ground because I was exposed to the sport. Maybe I wasn't, the best maybe I wasn't I don't think uh, if we're all coaches we probably weren't the best athletes because we're not still playing at the end of the day too but still finding that middle ground of that you can talk the talk you somewhat walk the walk and finding that mesh between the two to kind of just curb the athlete to the language that they hear so what language are they hearing from their coaches what language are they hearing from their sport from their teachers, so on and so forth, and kind of meshing it and just being an extension of it. Because, um, like, I know, like, for us at Audrey Kell, like, I want to be an extension of our sport coaches' benches. If the volleyball coach wants me to train her volleyball players to be better volleyball players, she's got the wrong guy because I never played volleyball a day in my life. But I at least know because of the biomechanical standpoint that Will talked about before, that these things are going to help us do these certain things better. Um, and then just finding the middle ground between those two with those athletes, I think can bring a lot of success, um, especially early on in your coaching career when you're trying to create buy-in um, with your name attached to it at the end of the day. Man, especially what Kyle just said. So piggybacking on like, you know, the first topic we were talking about, how, how do we value ourselves going into an interview as a young coach? And I think you hit it on the nose. Us, us knowing that verbiage, us knowing you know how to how to talk to younger players and younger athletes, and how to how can we get younger athletes to buy into that program? You know, especially for like the athletic directors who are looking to you know potentially be our first boss. You know, you know we have that to an advantage. We have 
we have us, you know, knowing the verbiage, um, us being young, us being relatable, you know, so those athletes can buy in so we can, you know, provide a better service and potentially have a better program, you know, going forward. And lastly here, I, I want to kind of reiterate something as well that a lot of people have talked about. Um, I think I've heard a tweet or two um, over the last couple of months was, as a strength coach, you got no ball, right? You you don't necessarily got love ball. You don't have to sit there and love every single aspect of it. Like, personally, I'm not a big basketball guy. Never have been, never will be. But you want to talk about football. You want to talk about um, – I'm a big hockey fan. Um, but I can at least <laughs> – I can at least understand like basketball. I know what a jump shot is. I know, you know, you know, there's a buzzer beater and whatever, you know, there's a half court shot, there's a three pointer, a two pointer, a layup, you know, driving through the paint. Like you I understand ball. Not necessarily that I love basketball, but at least I can have that language and that I guess respect for that sport and say, I know enough to get you better biomechanically. Um, strength-wise, I know how to get you better in your particular sport. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, we're, it's getting kind of late. Um, so let's sign off with uh, a tip for someone that's in their 20s, you know, below 30, either want to go into strength and conditioning, sport performance, or um, are currently in it, but, you know, they may be struggling and whatnot. What are some advices that y'all have for those people? I think the one piece of advice I'd like to give, if I was to give my younger self advice, um, it would be to try, like, learn, like, read more and speak less. Meaning, um, I would start reading a lot more books in terms of, like, where your niche is, whether you're trying to look in the speed, or whether you're like a basketball guy, like wherever that is, read more and kind of stay off of Twitter and don't let other coaches kind of jade your view as to kind of where you want to direct, where you, how you want to coach, what you want to coach and whatnot. So I say read more and say less um, in the short version. Um, if I was to tell my younger self, like my 20-year-old self, that would be the advice that I would give a young coach. I think for me, the, the advice I would give a young coach is, um, especially working with, like, with all sports, I would just say watch sports. Like, I can't tell you, like, this has, like, been, like, the most – this is the most I've worked with, like, baseball. And, like, I, I like baseball. I played a little bit. But, like, actually, like, watching baseball and, like, seeing people train pitchers and stuff like that, just just being able to, like, really see how they move and understand, like, why they're why they're moving this way and, and what works for them. Um you know, went a long way for me because um, I was scared to work with baseball. I think baseball and softball was like the one sport I was like terrified with. But I think the more I like, I, I liked it and, and watched it, and you know, found it, you know, interest in it. And you know, most of my clientele here is baseball, and softball, um, especially in this area. It's, it's changed for real. So I would tell my younger self, just you know, watch more sports growing up. Um, that way, I'm adapted to it and. You know, I can I can look at something and see what's wrong with it. Something like that. I'd say a tip I would give any young coach was uh, I would say don't take everything so seriously. That doesn't mean sacrifice your standards. Don't sacrifice your beliefs. But sometimes when you wake up in the morning and a kid walks in with Crocs on, maybe not blow up on them 
uh, it's just say don't take don't take everything so seriously. All right, everyone has a battle they go through every day. Not everyone has their great day. Uh, sometimes people roll out of the bed. Training is not on their mind. No one will ever love training as much as people like us do. Uh, probably less than one percent. So don't take it as seriously as a lot of people do when they don't come to the gym enthralled with what they have to do today that they don't want to bench press, they don't want to squat, they don't want to run, they don't want to get up at 6 a.m. to go lift, that uh, this is what we do for a living. This isn't what everyone wants to do for a living. I would say, obviously, like, learn as much as you can, like, learn from everybody that you can learn from. But at the same time, like, be confident in yourself and know your worth. Because there, there's a lot of really good coaches out there that you can learn from. Like, there's Derek Smith, there's Cody Hughes, there's Danny Foley. I've been able to learn so much from these guys. But there's also, unfortunately, a lot of coaches and people who are just straight up not good people. Like they want to, you know, bring you down and say mean things to you. Just like you have to know that you have value in you. Don't listen to what they're saying and be confident in what you're doing. So learn as much as you can, but also be confident in yourself and what you know. Um, I guess a bit of advice I would give. Um, young young strength coaches that are in the game wanting to level up or people who aspire to be a strength coach, um, you know, would probably be something that's a little little aside, the X's and O's of strength conditioning. Um, I'm a big proponent of the understanding that we all pretty much read the same stuff, man. Uh, people don't admit what we do. We all take interest in relatively the same things and our implementation and our prescription might be different, but at the end of the day, we can almost in part agree on the same concepts, uh, but disagree on how they're carried out and or put into place. So um, for me, I think it goes without saying we need to learn. I think it goes without saying that we need to serve. I think it goes without saying that if your purpose is in people, um, then you shouldn't really be doing this uh, because it won't sustain itself for selfish reasons. Uh, but what I do think isn't talked about enough of a, street, of a young street conditioning coach. It's kind of something I've prided myself on. And, you know, I want to call it humble arrogance or humble audacity is uh, kind of what George is saying, man, you got to know your worth and you got to be willing to stand on that. Um, you got to be able to do it fearlessly um, because there are a lot of demons in this in this field. Uh, there are a lot of battles and pitfalls in this field that people perpetually uh, speak upon and and lead us to believe that they are perpetual problems, such as, you know, getting the job as a young street coach. We're perpetually told that young street coaches don't get good jobs. And I'm here to let any young street coach coming into the game uh, know that don't believe the hype. That's not true. Bet on yourself. You can do anything. And it starts with us understanding that because we are young, we can change this narrative. Um, you know, not being able to sustain yourself as a street conditioning coach is normalized because we normalize taking on those situations and finding pride in being poor, sick, and hungry. And a poor, sick, and hungry person is no good to anybody, let alone these athletes. So we have the power to change that and stand on what we believe in, stand on our, our knowledge, stand on our ability and our desire to learn and push this profession forward. So I would say be unwavering in your pursuit of your goals. Uh, and in doing so, we will put ourselves in a better physical and mental position to best serve these athletes. Um, it starts within us. And, and this whole this whole profession is going to change uh, 
in such a way that we believe it can go. And so we have to be able to stand out on what we believe in, stand out on what's right, and understand that we now have the power to change the narrative of this profession because as much as we love them, the Tommy Moffitts and 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 guys of, of that era, uh, they are now taking positions which they reach back and, and minister to us. We're the ones who are going to be spearheading these things within the next few years. And so if we want the trajectory of this profession to change for not only us, but these athletes, we need to understand and take on that responsibility. And it starts with us, it starts with us having the the humble audacity to to take charge of that. Um, we've got to value ourselves. And because the value that we bring is what supplements these athletes' progression. So if we uh, have low value or a low perceived value or, and, or are expected to have uh, a low perception of self-value, we will not give our best to these athletes and we won't be able to be our best versions of ourselves. So take care of yourself. You can do it. Um, don't believe the hype. We can do anything and so can our athletes. Man, I, I I feel like I got a tough time following that one up. I got me all riled up, Coach. Um, <clears throat> at least for me, and you can see it anywhere in my program, um, get used to failing. Get used to feeling like you're not good enough. Get used to feeling uncomfortable in like anything that you program. There is no such thing as a perfect job. There is no such thing as a perfect program. Um but the best way to figure out how you're going to get as close to perfect in your own head is by living through it through failure. Um, you can't hide from it. We can, we can sit behind any textbook. We can sit behind any computer, any phone, and think that we're learning. But if you're not out on the floor communicating with people, communicating with athletes, coaching people, no matter who they are, you want to learn something, go coach, go coach an eight-year-old kid. Go coach an eight-year-old grandma or something. Like, just go coach. That's the best way to learn. But at the end of the day, like, there is no such thing as perfect. You will, you will fail more times than you will ever be successful, especially early on in your career. So don't always think that it's going to be sunshine and rainbows because if you don't work, this ain't going to work. Like, you, you, need, you need to put the time in in order to get there because – like we well, like we brought up, like we see these pictures of these perfect rooms and perfect jobs and everything else. Like you, you never know when you're going to be in a position that maybe you're training a kid on a plywood platform and all he got is a 45 pound kettlebell. But if you've never worked through that failure, you've never put yourself in that situation, then you're going to, you're going to lose your success and the feeling within yourself um, and the passion within yourself to kind of grow through this field because it is, it'll beat you to your knees if you let it, but it's also one of the coolest and most uplifting fields jobs that you can possibly have. I know every single day I get to go to work and do what I love and love what I do every single day. Do I get paid as much as I think I should? No. Do is every single part of my job perfect? Hell no. But the failure is the fun part of this. That it's, there's no there's no get rich quick scheme here. There's no X's and O's. There's no playbook of strength and conditioning. There's a lot of different ways to get there, and you just got to make your own path with it. And I guess just lastly, uh, my advice to anyone out there would be 
enjoy the process, enjoy the journey from point A to point B. You know, I, I know and I've been there and I'm currently in there right now. It's hard to see the big picture. It's hard to look beyond or it's, it's pretty easy to look beyond where you're at right now and see other people like, oh, well, so-and-so is doing great over there. So-and-so has their director or strength conditioning job there. You know, I want to be there. Um, maybe the, the stepping stones that you're taking in right now that you're going through right now, I mean, those are the stepping stones that are going to make you a better coach when you get to point B, your end game. So um, enjoy the process of learning, enjoying the process of being in this field. It's rewarding. Sometimes it is hell, but um, it is rewarding at the end of the day um, to see athletes succeed, to have them healthy, and even to see them maybe even go on and be a strength coach themselves or work in sports. That's all worth the wild at the end of the game or at the end of the day. So I'm going to go ahead and sign off with, um, I really do appreciate all y'all taking the time um, for the last about hour, hour and a half, um, talking through some of these topics and giving really good insight on, you know, our perspective being 30 below in this industry of strength and conditioning. Um, I really do appreciate all y'all and, um, if y'all need anything, of course, y'all, I think everyone follows everyone here mostly. So, I mean, uh, some of y'all got my uh, phone number. Um, if y'all want to talk, you know, I'm always down the talk shop, but, um, I really do appreciate y'all and I thank you again for being on.